Many of you know that my upbringing had me absolutely enfolded into the Presbyterian family of the Christian tradition. My father was a Presbyterian minister. My earliest life and memories include riding my tricycle along the sidewalks right outside of the sanctuary because we lived in the manse, which was also right next to the sanctuary. So that's my upbringing, playing outside the church. My brothers and I would get into mischief because we would go into the sanctuary and race on our bellies under the pews to see who would get to the front first. I really have never been able to get away from the life and the influence, the architecture and the love, the family of faith that we know is as Presbyterians. I feel so blessed and enriched by this. And with that upbringing, and now as one who served as a pastor for more than 30 years, I doubt it's no surprise to you that my total count of demon castings out is still zero. (laughs) I've never been around anyone who has tried seriously to cast out a demon. The talk of demons and casting out demons has really not been part of our tradition. I'm not sure I can really even remember conversations about demons, except conversations about particular stories in the Bible. Moreover, I have earned three degrees in theology and Bible, and I have so many books in my study and at my house. Ginger tells me to give a few away every day, uh, and I could find almost nothing in any of these books about demons. And when I sought after a few of the most well-used books written by my professors and theologians who've most shaped my life, looking for something about demons, I couldn't find it. Presbyterians are so strong at talking about the love of God, so strong about talking about justification by grace through faith, so strong about how whether we live or whether we die, We belong to God from the beginnings of baptism. Presbyterians are so good at emphasizing life in gratitude for God's gracious love and care for us. Presbyterians talk so well how we respond to God's grace by giving our lives in worship and service, commitment and care for the inbreaking of God's reign that's promised forever. Presbyterians are so excellent at saying we are elected to service as well as salvation. Salvation is important, but we're elected to service as well as salvation. Presbyterians are great at lifting up how we respond to God's amazing grace with gracious lives that stand up for justice and work for peace in our hurting world. We are really good at So much theology and faith and so much life and service as God's people. We're really good. But we don't talk about demons. We don't talk much about demons. And yet we have this story today from the Gospel of Luke. And it's a pretty vivid picture of demons. Listen. 
Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. As Jesus stepped out on land, a man in the city who had demons met him. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized the man. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What's your name? He said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order him to go back into the abyss, those demons. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. And then people came out to see what had happened. And when they had come to Jesus, they found the man whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus has just gotten out of the boat. The story, just prior to this one, is about the storm on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus stilling the storms, calming the waves. But when he gets out of the boat, Jesus encounters a man, a man distorted by demons. The demons are so powerful inside this man that he has, according to this text, made his home among the dead. Who makes their home among the dead? Who makes their home in the cemetery? Moreover, this man has lived naked, isolated, apart from the community, apart from society. And when Jesus permits this army of demons to find a new home, not in the man, but in the herd of the pigs, which rush to destruction, drowning themselves in the sea, the man is restored to health and even to community. But the community responds with fear, it says, fear so intense that they ask Jesus to leave, go away from us. A new storm, see, a new storm, a human storm is starting to swirl. Demons, 
what's going on with demons here? I want to first try to clarify what we're talking about when we talk about demons. A demon is a way of talking about a power that takes over our hearts and souls and minds and lives, takes over and alienates us from life with God and life that God intends for us. A demon distorts our sense of who we are and what we are to do. A demon distorts our sense of identity and our purpose in life. In this sense, guess what? We all have demons. We all struggle with demons. Maybe our demons are related to how we see ourselves. Perhaps low self-esteem or chronic worries about whether we're good enough or beautiful enough or smart enough. Or it could be that our demons carry us to the other extreme. We're caught up in so full of ourselves, cannot really ever get past ourselves, narcissistic. Maybe our demons relate to our upbringing or something that happened to us along the way. Psychologists are quick to tell us that the things that happen to us can become things that challenge us all our lives. We're always trying to prove ourselves maybe, overcompensate for something, or at the other extreme, minimize ourselves because we don't want attention drawn to ourselves. We're often fighting with our demons and what we're carrying around. We might carry shame. We might fight addiction. We might be dealing with various levels of PTSD that came our way at some point in life. We might remain burdened all our days by guilt or something else. All of these can become our demons because they bring us challenges to everything else that happens in our lives. So the word demons is a way of talking about the struggles that are ours, the powers, the burdens that we must deal with in order to be our best selves. In this sense, perhaps we need to reclaim the word. These powers, these forces that distort who we're called to be can debilitate us, discourage us, destroy our sense of wholeness. Because you know what? They are real. And they can sometimes be very challenging for all of us depending on what we carry around. And then, when demons get really strong and overwhelming, we can understand this term, demon-possessed. The man in the story is quite a vivid depiction. Demon-possessed. It says, for a long time he wore no clothes. And he didn't live in the house, but in the tombs. He had lived lots of life, it says, bound in chains and shackles. And in the wilds. And these demons are very loud. In fact, they start yelling at Jesus when Jesus appears. A demon-distorted life has made it impossible for this man to live in community. He's been 
invaded fully, not by a demon, but by demons. His very name is Legion. This man has been wrestling not with a few demons or some challenges like we might know, but with a whole army of demons. He's been wrestling with Legion is the name also of the oppressive Roman regime that's all through the region. Legion reminds us how oppressive and disruptive when someone or something takes over, how oppressive and disruptive it can be for life. Surrounded, overtaken, totally victimized by demons. That's the man. Demon-possessed. I would guess that you, like me, know somebody like this or met some people along the way, demon-possessed, so demon-possessed they can't function in community. We get to know some of these folks in this hometown church where we day in and day out encounter lots of interesting people. There are medical explanations for many of the conditions of these people. A simple term is mental illness. Normal neurological processors have been disrupted. They're not working very very well. Medications can help. But clearly, these people struggle, and they are dealing with issues that take over their mind, their heart, their lives, and they most likely don't have health care or don't know where to find health and medication for their issues. They find themselves alienated from community and far away from the life that God intends for all of us as God's people. Sometimes the demon-possessed will include addiction, which can be a real and awful demon. It might include intense depression. It might include extreme worry and anxiety, so powerful that you can't function well in community and normally. And when it gets really bad, we can say it's legion because it's like an army that has taken over and oppressing, disrupting life. So in thinking about this subject, demons, there's this spectrum, right? Demons that we can name, demons that we might fight sometimes, demons that might haunt us in some ways, all the way to demon-possessed, like we've probably seen. We could even carry this concept beyond ourselves, beyond the people we know, and think about this word demons in our culture and in our larger society. So many demons from our cultural habits through the years shape us in ways that remain oppressive and disruptive. We could probably talk about our demonic love affair with guns that generates a society of so much gun violence. We could talk about our demonic obsession with consumption that takes a toll on the planet. It takes a toll on human relationships. Certainly, certainly we can talk about the demons of white privilege and intense racism, particularly in this city, and how this city has developed and been divided because of that. 
And just this weekend, this city took a step taking on that demon with the renaming of the boulevard and Arthur Ashe is name. And that doesn't come close to absolving us of the demons, especially of racism and divisions, but it seeks to take a step toward healing and wholeness and wholesome purposes. We could talk about the demons that pervade our politicians who continue to act with self-interest instead of the common good. Maybe it's the demons who keep guiding us toward power conflicts and war instead of peace and concern for the planet. Maybe it's the demons that keep spreading the fear and keep dragging us toward more division toward some other catastrophe instead of life and justice and joy that God intends for the whole world. This word demons could be a helpful word. Demons is a way of describing a sincere and dangerous reality that can take over our better lives oppress our gifts and intentions, haunt us individually and as a community. I even think the word demons is a way of waking up, waking up to our continuing inclination to move away from God and what God calls us to be about. Demons. Here's the good news. Demons never prevail in the Bible. Never. God does. Jesus does. And that should absolutely direct how we live our lives. Look what happens in this passage. It's even it's very dramatic. It's even humorous. Jesus permits the legion of demons in the man to find a new home in a herd of pigs which prominently rush down to destruction, to drown in the sea. Jesus permits the demon to go beyond the community. And just as Jesus can calm the storms of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus can defeat the most challenging and abundant demons in this troubled man and in this particular community. All of this affirms so powerfully what Jesus' life and what Jesus' teachings and what Jesus' actions really mean. Jesus comes to free us, to deal with our demons. Jesus comes, whether they're minor issues or setbacks in our hearts and lives or the most extreme and overwhelming circumstances that debilitate us, Jesus comes to free us. Jesus comes to make us whole, to give us life and peace, to promise that no legion is too much for God's power. No darkness is too much for God's light. Jesus wants to heal us, to free us, to strengthen us for life. This is another story that's trying to make that point as vividly and powerfully as it can. Demons are real. Demons can be pervasive. Demons challenge us. But demons, not our demons, not our community's demons, not our country's demons are too much 
for God. And then there's one more point in this story that is especially important and very pertinent. Jesus releases the demons in the man, and the man, now bereft of the demon army that has oppressed him and disrupted his life, he tries to remain with Jesus. Can I go with you, Jesus? Can I stay with you, Jesus? But in an interesting move, Jesus doesn't say, come and follow me, like he does in lots of other stories. He doesn't say that here. Jesus sends him back into his community. Who knows how the community will receive him? Who knows how the community is going to treat this man? The community chased away Jesus out of their fear. But Jesus still has a witness in that community. The man went away to his own people, to the community that had alienated him for so long, proclaiming what God had done, proclaiming Jesus in his community. It reminds me of that wonderful and powerful phrase, think globally and act locally. Jesus told the man, go back into your community and proclaim what God has done. He went and he shared about Jesus. Jesus keeps asking us to go back into your community, go back into the struggles against all that disrupts, all that distorts, all that oppresses, all that debilitates, all that alienates, and work for God's purposes, the life that God intends. Yesterday at the event of the Museum of History and Culture, Congressman John Lewis stood on those steps in this occasion of the renaming of the boulevard, and he said, we cannot go backwards. We got to go forward. We have to keep working, he said, for racial justice and equality even after 400 years, treating people with human dignity. We have to fight. We have to vote. We have to do what's right even as we see places that are getting worse, more racism coming about, border challenges. Even after all the challenges along the way, for equality and justice and the life that God intends, can't go backwards, got to go forwards. Jesus says, go into your community and keep going. Throw off the legion. Expose and defeat the powers that distort and carry us down. Go back into your communion, community, Jesus says. Be fully engaged to the point where we see Jesus' purposes emerging. Life, justice, joy, welcome, hospitality, love, hope, fairness, equality. Keep working on it. That's our calling. We've got a lot of work to do. May God bless us and guide us today, tomorrow, forever. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, thank you for your power. Thank you for your promises by your Spirit. We seek to align our lives with you and your purposes. Amen.